This is the MDRT Podcast. Whether it's developing your own tax software, teaching university courses, or developing your own radio show, many successful advisors do things that most other advisors don't. During a recent conversation at MDRT headquarters, Mark Olson, Austin, Texas. David Braithwaite from London in the UK. Sophia Dumanski from Hartford, Connecticut. Jonathan Kessel from Ingersoll, Ontario, Canada. Shared what they do that is unique to them and how their practice has benefited. Now, we spend a lot of time working in retirement income. So in order to be in the retirement income space, you really need to know the taxation that sets the parameters of how you draw your accounts and things like that. So I know that I have a knowledge in taxation that is a level above the advisor, at least in my region, and I find it sets me apart and I get that feedback from my clients and, you know, frankly, we win a lot of cases based on that knowledge because sometimes it's not always about how much return you can make, it's about how much return you can keep and whether you're getting a better return or you're minimizing taxes, they're both really important. So that's really helped us out a lot, and it's hard to learn the tax code and, and to be able to wield it in a way. So there's a pretty high barrier there for other advisors to come in and enter. There's not really great training tools. You just got to put in the work, and I just have this need or hunger to get deeper and deeper and deeper into it. I don't find it boring at all, and, and uh, it's definitely something there that sticks out to me. What have clients said to indicate that it's working? You're hired. You're hired. Uh, I haven't heard this before. I didn't know that if I make such a simple change, it can make such an impact on my life, you know, and, and to have it down in a way that you can articulate it and give confidence to your clients, it really makes a big difference for someone to say, I'm going to be okay. And I thought I was going to retire at 65. Based on the work we're doing, I can retire at 63. All right, and thank you. And I've heard you have special software that helps you with this, right? Yeah, so we have, uh, that's part of this, we've hired a programmer and we've coded an algorithm that does this for me, because it's hard, it's hard to, you can't do it with a pen and paper. Um, We would, uh, before we had done that, we'd cobble together a bunch of different softwares and one piece would do one, you know, accumulation phase, one piece would take care of our, our personal savings drawdown, another one would would look at something else, and then we'd have to go into uh, Excel and cobble it all together and take five days, and it was just a, you know, in order to do it, it was really intense. We needed a a way to be able to do it quickly, so we had hired a programmer, and it just snowballed. We started with a simple calculator, we added on a, a component, we added on a module, we tested it, we used it, it worked, we added it on again. Um, it's gotten so big now that it's, it's, it's sort of taken on a life of its own. We've incorporated a business around it. And it's something that now we've bottled up, we've labeled, and now we can share with Canada and, and maybe even beyond one day. And it's all to do with setting the parameters. And look, you don't need to learn the tax code like I did. or you know, It's not like I'm an accountant, but you, you need to be able to know how to navigate these things and it's complex there's lots of rules to know and now we can share that with other advisors and in a way it's an educational platform they can go through the questionnaire and there's resources there to know you know not everybody wants to admit they don't know this stuff and it's okay if you don't know it it's not everybody's practice 
and we can raise the level of awareness for other advisors to be able to get into this market and we feel it's a very important market to be in. Well my practice is all really built around financial education so all of my prospects and clients come from classes that I teach at the universities and we take them through a four-week class it's supposed to be 10 hours so two and a half hours per week but we always end up running over I work in personal client stories and things that have happened and that I've seen over the 29 years that I've been doing this and make it interesting for the people and then at the end of the course we offer them a 90-minute consultation for free the only price of admission for them is that they have to complete our homework packet which they're supposed to be doing a little bit each week and they turn that in in week four of the class and then we will do the appointment with them and from that uh, we we turn a certain number of them into clients and we just follow this process with everybody and so it it really has changed what we do from a prospecting standpoint i don't know the last time i made outbound phone calls other than returning calls and I'm using this as a way to attract the people that want the type of work that we provide which is retirement planning. Is there anything unexpected that comes from that dynamic of the teacher-student relationship compared to the usual advisor-client relationship? Ultimately I'll answer any of the people's questions that they have. I don't say oh no you have to come become a client before that so I do find I'm giving maybe a, a bunch of things away for free in the context of the class, but the surprising thing that comes out of it is as you're going through the four weeks, you always think that you can pick who's going to be the best client or the most fun to work with, and you're almost never right. I've had people that I thought for sure would do an appointment that didn't, and we never talk to them again after week four and I've had people that seemed a bit crazy and there's no way they're even going to come in for a meeting that come in for the meeting and say we took the class we're hiring you there's not even any hesitation at all and so I'm just always shocked at at what comes out of it but it's it's been a a really fun ride and we're continuing it some time ago probably about 20 years ago there used to be a guy on local radio and he used to do a phone-in and I used to listen to the phone-in because it was always interesting hearing how he would put across questions that the callers would bring him for questions that the presenter was asking for and it's always interesting hearing how he'd maybe phrase something or put something across so that was you always learn from there and I thought I quite fancy doing this then one day when I used to tune in to him the radio station said, um, really sorry, we can't bring you today's programme. Uh, the advisor that we used to use, unfortunately, has died. I got on the phone and rung the radio station and said, I can do that. How long did it take to make the call? Minutes. Literally, I just thought, I can do this. I really can see myself doing this. So I rung them up. And I'll be honest, I did blag it a bit because they said, oh, what experience have you got? I said, oh, I've done radio before. Yeah, no, not so much. So anyway, a month later, I found that I was taken on for a trial to do the next phone-in on the radio. And that was nearly 20 years ago. I'm still on that radio station with the BBC. You'd be surprised at how many 
places like that want experts like you. They're willing for voices to come on and give their expertise, be a guest, give a specific example, use for case studies, anything like that. But people don't approach and ask. And it's remarkable how much business that's brought in for us. It's made me an expertise in that particular area. I found I've actually got my own radio show now as well. So I'm now a presenter with them. I work for the BBC now, which is something that never would have happened before. But for not stepping over that threshold and just saying, I can do that, and making a phone call. The business is brought in is immeasurable. The PR it brings is huge, and the credibility that comes along with it for having that ability to do that is literally unquantifiable. We can use all the stuff that we do on the radio to market the business. We use it for all sorts of purposes within the local area where we are. And there is radio stations everywhere. There are newspapers everywhere. I volunteered to write a column for a newspaper for free. You're not trying to go out there and sell products. What you're trying to be is the expert in your area. I've now become the go-to financial guru in my region. That's what I do. So consequently, you get known for doing that, and then people migrate to you when you're trying to actually get business or when people are looking at different advisors. They'll think, oh, I've heard of them. So the actual business that you get from doing that is really high quality, massively long-lasting, and it's provided the foundation for a lot of the business and the work that our practice now brings in. That is an absolute linchpin for everything we've ever done. But it all started with that phone call at the beginning and being brave and thinking, I could do this. And I think my, my advice for a lot of people would be, sometimes we overthink things. And I think that a lot more people should adopt the approach of ready, fire, aim, not ready, aim, fire. Until you, If you always wait until you're ready, whatever that is, you're probably never going to be ready. Just do it. Even if you do it 80%, it's still 80% of something and not 0% of nothing. And I think a lot more people are far more capable of being brave and doing bigger things than what they think they can be. Just you need that little bit of push sometimes to just take you over the edge. And sometimes all that pushes is a gulp and just pick up the phone and do it. What's the worst that can happen? You're no worse than what you were before you picked up the phone, even asked. But if you don't ask, you definitely won't get. I've seen people getting ready to get ready. Exactly. People do. And they've got all these big plans and they're going to do all this stuff, but actually they don't. And it becomes a lot of bluster and people don't always follow through and, and carry on with, with things that they want to do. You know, what is your goals? But make things that you want to have in life big, audacious goals. Have some things that are really going to excite you, no matter how far out there they might be. I sit down, I, I have uh, once a quarter, I write my goals for the next quarter, my next year, my next three years, my five years in lifetime. And every quarter I revisit those, I carry on my phone a list of 100 things to do before I die, which sounds very morbid, but on there is a moving list of goals that I've always got. And it could be anything from having a handmade suit made to flying in a helicopter, little mini goals that you can just have, but just keep you motivated. So when you do get moments when you're on the train or you're perhaps feeling a bit low about something, look through your goals. Those things are the things that are going to get you from where you are to where you want to be. And you can't help but feel more positive when you start looking at what a brighter future looks like for you. But keep them going. It's amazing also. Your brain's an incredible thing. If you write down goals and you have them there and you're regularly looking at them, your brain picks up stuff. You'll start seeing stuff that you wouldn't have seen before because your brain's not looking for them. If you don't tell your brain what to look for, 
and how would that actually come around and a lot of the stuff that I now feel very privileged and lucky to be able to do has all come around because I wrote something down at some point that the younger me would not have believed the older me could have got and it's incredible the places you can go you know that reminded me of that quote um someday because people always say someday I'm going to do this someday I'm going to do that versus day one yeah and that's what you kind of said I made a decision and this is my day one yeah we experienced that with the software uh, so the thing with the software is you got to put the cart way way after the horse right you can't go to market with a software that's ready because it's never ready but how scary is it to put something out for people to use that isn't ready but it is in a way and there's a minimum version or prototype you can get out and get people to use so that you can validate it without dumping in a bunch of resources into it and finding out it doesn't work and it's something that we went through this year and it's definitely something that I had to get comfortable with after the fact it sort of makes sense you don't want to you know develop something that's not going to work but you need to get something out to somebody to validate it and there's a balance of how ready does it need to be you know and uh, it's got to work but it doesn't have to be perfect but I think what it never will does is it puts you out there as being the kind of the go-to expert in that field because other people may think about it but they don't do it's the doers that get noticed not the thinkers so much so by actually putting yourself out there and saying well here's the software that we've got you are saying this is where we're going this is our niche we are the experts, you're the best known people out there for doing it. You've seen the reaction around the room of the software that you've got and what people are interested in talking to you about. You become the go-to expert. So you're the first person that people think about when they're doing that, whether it's ready or not, you're still the person that's made more momentum in the right direction than other people have. And that's what it's all about. It's about progress, not perfection. Yeah, it's quite exciting. I learnt, uh, um, we have a saying, you gotta eat the frog. So you get to work in the morning, first thing you do is you do something you don't want to do yeah yeah you get to work in the morning you eat the frog make the call that you don't want to get it over with make the call and get on with your day you know and, things gonna and, get uh, better huh yeah <laughs> you know you just why do it at the end of the day something that you don't want to do and uh you know and it's been sort of finding that phrase sort of been finding its way through my life this year in different ways and in different circumstances but it's been a good one to just whatever that fear is you know, do it first. There's a book that I've just started reading at the moment, and the title of it is brilliant to the point where in our new office we're actually going to get the title blown up and put on the wall somewhere. And it's to do with goals and so on, where people say, oh, is it moving further away from your goal? So this whole book's written by these uh, Olympic rowing team. And the Olympic rowing team wanted to win a gold medal at the Olympics, which was great, but they looked at everything that they did on the lead-up to the Olympics as to whether it was positively impacting towards getting the gold medal or negatively impacting and the whole thing that they said was will it make the boat go faster so the book is called will it make the boat go faster and I've never forgotten that because now in lots of things that I'm doing I'm thinking will it make my boat go faster so I wanted to you know I decided to get fitter and lose some weight and stuff you know so in things that I'm doing and things I'm eating is it making my boat go faster and the answer to that is no you don't do it and the same thing can be applied to business is what you're doing getting you nearer to where you want to be or is that is it more toxic or to drawing you away and we've also got to be thinking about these things when we're looking at goals that we have and where we want the practice to be is everything that we're doing with the staff the team and the clients that we're seeing is it making our boat go faster is it getting us to where we want to go if so do more of it and amplify it if it's not 
you should be doing less or cut it out completely. I really don't think I do anything that others don't. I don't believe in reinventing the wheel. I really follow what I've been taught. So most of my practice is in risk management and retirement planning. Just like your position myself as text diversification specialist. So I talk to my clients a lot about paying the tax today, but also having the ability not to pay the tax later and the importance of balancing it out in order to maximize the tax advantages that we have available to us in the today's market. And we have no idea what tomorrow is going to be. So the more we can balance it, the more we can lean one way or the other. I think it's really important what you're saying. Sorry to cut you off, but the thought with that is sometimes the unique thing that you're doing is doing the traditional things we should be doing. And it, it sometimes seems as though we we lose grasp with the fundamentals of what good advising is. And I'm six or seven years into this business, and I was started out on a healthy diet of Ben Feldman and Tony Gordon and those tapes and um, Bruce Etherington and those fundamentals in those tapes and those talks um, that's really what makes us as MDRT members unique for non-members I think so doing what everybody else is doing you know sometimes is what's unique in a way and we were right? talking about it earlier on yeah. today weren't we that actually you go and you get all these great ideas and then for whatever reason you just stop doing them and then you wonder why something's not working anymore they were, they, they were so good doing the things that you make you get there in the first place and i think the joy of um the, the meetings that we have at mdrt and, and the network of people is that you got this constant reminder of what you should be doing from the people that are out there doing it but also you're learning and growing at the same time yourself and it's about sharing those stories but going back to basics and the annual meeting does that for me in spades where you go to there and you think, oh, yeah, I remember this. I remember hearing that. I used to do that and I've stopped doing it. And it's a great reminder just to keep you on course. And I use the boat analogy. If no one's steering your rudder all the time and just keeping you on track to get to where you want to, you're probably going to get drifting off course. And it's just that nice sort of course correction that you need in your life with the people that you meet just to get you back on track to where you want to be. I was always told if you want to be successful in this business, last. There's yeah. nothing really special to what we're doing, right? It's just uh, keep consistent, sustain your business, and last. And if you can do that, you'll be successful. And I believe that. Uh, stick to the basics and last. Thank you for listening to this month's episode. If you'd like to subscribe, find us on SoundCloud at MDRT Podcast. We'll see you next time. <laughs>